0: Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked, a podcast where listeners discover how enterprise data and automation leaders are solving their most complex unstructured data challenges. I'm your host, Chris Wells. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I am your host, Chris Wells, VP of Research and Development at Indico Data. And my guest today is Peter Camp of Camp Tech Software, uh, CTO and founder. Peter, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Chris? Good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and then what you all do over at Camp Tech?
1: Sure. That'll be great. Yeah. So I'm Peter Camp, um, founder, CTO of, of Camp Tech Software. Um, I've been in automation for a better part of 20 years um, doing RPA development. Um, previously worked at a company where built a uh, RPA product from the ground up, uh, similar to UiPath. So I know all the tips and tricks and strengths and weaknesses of the tech. Um, My company, Camp Tech Software, has been around for almost five years. Uh, We approach this a little differently than some of the other leading RPA vendors out there, um, service providers. We've tackled this from a managed service perspective from the beginning, because I think that's the best way to handle this um, and, and support. So we really build all our solutions with a focus on support from beginning to end. So when we scope something we build it, we have a methodology in and around that. Um, So, you know, we've had quite a bit of success in, you know, healthcare, supply chain, um, financial services, uh, even retail started to pick up a little bit lately. So, you know, we're really, uh, we're closely aligned with UiPath and um, obviously we're partners of Indico as well. So.
0: Yeah. Let's yeah, let's let that cat out of the bag right away. Yeah. Strong partnership. Watch this space, as they say, for good things coming. Um, great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for giving us that rundown, Peter. It sounds like if I'm hearing all of that correctly. You're really deep and wide um, when it comes to RPA and all things automation. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, one of the things we tell our clients is we kind of have we have a uh, best of breed approach providing solutions. So, you know, in the case of like Indico versus, you know, some of the other document understanding tools, every, you know, Indico does its job really well with certain types of unstructured data where some, where you may not need it for something that's more highly structured. Or there's kind of a good example there. Um, It's the same thing with the RPA approach or even solutions or activities you call within our RPA bots. We always try to figure out the best and cheapest and um, highest ROI solution set.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the theme of this podcast. Um, right tool for the job. And yeah. uh you you guys certainly have the expertise to know how to choose that. So it's gonna be it's gonna be great to dig in. Um, why don't you start by I'm actually I'm really interested in the introduction. You talked about seeing, you know, offering RPA as a managed service to begin with. What is it that convinced you that over your, you know, long career of doing this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I like I said, I've been in this space for about 20 something years, but originally I worked for a legacy RPA company. And when I first uh, got hired there, they were doing a lot of trainings, you know, training people how to build you know, scripts or what we're calling bots these days. Yep. Um, as the time went on, less and less of those people on the client side were wanting to take the trainings or even available or didn't have the right background. Um, so customers came to us to help them support these bots are already in production and, you know, so it kind of became more of a services approach versus just a straight technology software approach. And, you know, as as um, RPA has evolved, you know, with UiPath and others really taking this to scale at the enterprise, um, you know, saw that in like 2017, 18, that if this thing's really gonna, you know, scale from a wide level, you have to have support. You need to have managed services around it because Companies can't hire quick enough to keep yeah. up with the tech. Um, not to mention there's a million different pieces or tech that you can use. I mean, Indico, you can use Google, you can use Microsoft. Now you have Chat GPT coming up. I yeah. mean on and on. I mean, there's no way anyone can keep ahead of that curve. So you need to have managed services companies where their job is to keep ahead of the curve, understand what's good, you know, kind of um figure out which, which direction to go based on you know, the need.
0: That's great. There are a lot of in areas in there that you covered. So, you know, I can think of sort of just day to day operations, uh, oversight, QA, what's the spectrum of services that you offer and, and your clients find valuable?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, on the whole delivery um, front, we do everything from, you know, okay. coping, identification, you know, on development, testing, QA of everything support. Um, support is really where uh, all our bots are at this point, where majority of our bots okay. are. Try to get it out of the development to support. Um, so whether it be an IP solution or a straight back office unattended robot or attended robot, you know, those yeah. things to, go to support and have, that's basically step one.
0: Great. Okay. All right. So you talked about the proliferation of tools and shiny new toys these days, yeah. like Chet, GPT. Um Tell me one of the one of the things that has become critical for really getting the most out of your automation solution is finding a good IDP solution or cobbling one together from a number of different tools. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you and Camp Tech Software think about unstructured data. How is it different? How is it the same? What are the unique challenges?
1: Yeah, so we think of it in three different ways, like most do um, structured, semi-structured and then finally unstructured. Um so structured is what I would call, you know, legacy OCR techniques, positional, you know, data doesn't move, fixed form, you know, frankly, there's free OCR tools out there that can do the job at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, even those have gotten better, you know, 10 years ago, they they had a hard time just reading text. Yeah. Now, it's, now it's highly sophisticated, even on over the shelf. Um, so the semi-structured is, is really where a majority of the use cases traditionally have come from, in my opinion, like Abby has done a lot of work in semi-structured. UI has yep. a lot of work in semi-structured, and it's really become very fuzzy. And it becomes hard for clients to understand the difference between semi-structured and completely unstructured. And I, I'll even go a step further to say it's not just unstructured. Mm-hmm. You know, this could this piece of data could be anywhere on the screen, but is it is it unstructured? Need based on the volume. So like if you have semi-structured and you only have you know, I don't know, let's say you're processing 100 a month, you can you can get that limping, you can limp those through, you know, um with with back-end support. But if you're talking like millions of documents a year or millions of pages a year, um you know, 7, 10, 12, you need something that can handle the level of volume and handle anything that comes through. So you you could be majority semi-structured, you know, 60% semi-structured, but it's the 40% that will kill you that's not. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're if you're pulling in a lot of different sources, um, you know, this use case we're working on with you guys, I mean, they have thousands of physician offices pouring in these orders from all different yeah. states. And you know, they don't know they may have worked with a doctor one time, they may work with a doctor a hundred times. They may work with, you know, it so the repeatability isn't really there, but the 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 need for the discrete pieces of data are
0: yeah you raise an interesting point which is um even if the even if one document is sort of you know semi-structured uh, and the next one is semi-structured and slightly different you got millions of documents millions of pages like even getting your arms around the problem initially to define it in a semi-structured way you know that that's months or years of work right
1: yeah yeah. So, I mean, you know, you look at it strategically for us being a managed service. So obviously we want to make money on support, right? Um, yeah. We want to get people to support, but we also need to make money too. We don't want to spend uh infinite amount of resources supporting an IDP initiative. Um, because You know, with the retraining or training of the models. Um, so, you know, I think Indico to me has the best solution, best go to market at volume, high volumes. Where you know you know you basically build it, correct it, is it's continuing to learn on its own, but the benchmark where it starts is a lot higher from a reliability standpoint than any tool that we've seen.
0: It's an amazing compliment. Uh, I happen to agree with you, uh, and I'll encourage uh, the folks out there who are curious to either talk to you or me about what's possible. Um, coming back to that point of what is possible, um, what do you see? unlocking access to unstructured data potentially doing for organizations and for you know the knowledge workers within those organizations.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously you know the the value is so high if you really think about um, taking all these digitized assets assets and and making them understandable and not having that middle swivel chair person processing them mm-hmm. both from a labor standpoint and I think from an accuracy standpoint, Uh, as well as a speed to business and speed to decisions. You know, if we think about this, I'm actually in the middle of a blog right now thinking about what it would look like, you know, in 10 years, truly having unstructured data solutions that could really handle a lot of these review situations. I mean, we work with customers that are having to review faxes, you know, hundreds and thousands of pages of faxes a day, and they have a team of people doing this, reviewing that they get this information. And a lot of the data is exactly the same but it needs to be put into a system exactly the same way, you know, um, We're working yeah. in that case with you guys um, uh, doing physician orders, I, I, you know, and there's a team of people that are having to look at each one of these orders every single day, look through, and make sure this information is not only reflected in the order, then also in the system of record. And they have to yeah. go through two different steps to do that. And that is a very, very common use case. But I think, regardless of what industry you're in, financial services, supply chain, healthcare, wherever, there's that middle man or middle person that's having to process this stuff and, and it can't be just done automatically without some type of logic behind it. Um, so yeah. it's not just simply grabbing the data and putting it someplace, but actually making some type of decision to reflect that it, it is accurate.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that framing of speed to decision. And I also... Cause we're, we're seeing the same thing right now uh, in the insurance industry broadly, just whether it's claims or underwriting, you know, quote submissions, Right. the person that gets, you know, the company that gets that data out the fastest and to a point where you can look at it and say, yep, quote it, nope, deny the claim. Um, they're the ones that get paid first. And so I like thinking about that 10 year future. It's kind of an arms race, right? The, yeah. the folks that get there first. And the fast followers have an advantage there's some real potential for companies to be left behind in that
1: oh yeah absolutely <clears throat> i mean i say i think not only with idp but you know even rpa and, and implementing i'd say bread and butter rpa you know bots to just alleviate some of the work um yeah. that, let's not talk about complete digital transformation just yet but even that just getting that off the ground i think would make a huge impact um for majority of companies, and you know, we've seen you know prolifer- from two thousand eighteen to twenty three, you know, a real evolution in this market. Um, you know, high high COE usage in eighteen nineteen, companies building their own you know practices, and yeah, you know, and then twenty twenty kind of really scrambled that all up. Its budgets got constrained, you know, and the bots that were built in eighteen and nineteen. Whether it be a solution provider coming in or a COE or turnover, a lot of these bots are like on the shelf right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, huge opportunity to go back and you know fix them or get people realigned. I mean, we have several new customers coming online just with that particular problem. Um huh. and I think there's a lot more out there. Uh with that being said, I think, you know, as we move forward, because IDP in 2018 and 19 far different than it is right now i mean yeah like you said it's an arms race everyone's really you know there's a lot of value i think a lot of revenue coming into the this particular space um and companies that may have evaluated solutions you know in 1819 now they come back in 23 and it's like gosh why well, i didn't realize this was out there so you know and that that's why we're advocates of what you guys are doing what you guys are trying to do um because we feel like it is the best to breed.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I would say that 1819 era, it was five to ten to one hype to actual, you know, yeah. meat in the sausage. Um when it came to those technologies. And so a lot of people got burned um yeah. you know by vaporware. And now, you know, it like I said, I do think we're the best, but there's a, there's a lot of really good stuff out there. And one of the key things is finding someone who's done this before and the right technology to do it with. And so that, you know, that makes me super pumped about this, uh, about this partnership.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if you look at the strict that UI pass brought to the market, the reliability, um, yeah. you know, and it's really not a lot of times it's not, it's not, I'd say 99.5% of the time, the reliability isn't a, unreliability is not a result of the, of the technology. It's more around the implementation, identification of good use cases, you know, proper support, and maintenance. Um change management. Change management, yes. And all that. It's not, it's the technology is definitely there. And there's a lot of different ways if it's not there to improve it, you know, in a custom way too. So you know we we feel really strongly that the go to market with with the technologies that are out there right now can make a lot of this realistic versus you know before 10 years ago it really wasn't realistic at the to the scale that was you know needed
0: no yeah it was science fiction the only the only companies that had um any technology like this uh, they were using it for themselves and they're probably building it into products like Google search and Facebook <laughs> right it was all <laughs> locked up um I want to I want to keep looking at the future a little bit. Um, So 10 years from now, and I don't want to steal the thunder from your blog post, but it's an interesting topic. Uh, So we've gone through this arms race, you know, some people have uh, fallen along the way. Um, Now everyone's really sort of fast to that decision point. Um, So then what's the bottleneck from there? uh, If decision ready data is not the bottleneck.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, well, the bottleneck is actually transforming that data into something meaningful and you make decisions off of versus, I mean, you guys, thats probably going to be the next evolution of your product is to take the data you've already done intelligently and reliably, but then actually provide decision trees or models or, you know, so if you say you're going through, I don't know, I think there's a huge opportunity if you're cataloging this data, pulling this data, actually doing something with the data versus just, you know, spitting it out into JSON and having a bot go to plug it into, into an application, but actually mining the data and, and creating, you know, understandable models that, you know, things could fall out of that. So like, you know, if you see like an insurance case and they're probably already doing this, uh, most sophisticated insurance companies probably do this already, but like, you know taking out, like say there was a car accident like insurance mm-hmm. and you know taking all this discrete parts of that data and then figuring out okay this is actually someone who's under the age of 25 that drives a jeep they're unmarried you know yep. whatever uh maybe we don't I don't know whatever the decision tree falling out of that is you know and like yeah. figuring out what to do with that and they and I know a lot of companies already have these models but I think the thing is they've not had the discrete data you can pull from these documents i mean okay. frankly i also one of the things i wrote in my blog too is imagine if you could take all of a company's you know their entire life cycle of every printed document scan document and you collected all that data and made it into something i mean you would have these supercharged companies i mean they've got all this like you know digital debt sitting there yeah so you know i think that's really where where it's going to go um <clears throat> because i think as people are looking for more advanced solutions or more decision making, pre-human, you know they're just going to be looking for data however they can get it.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And don't tell anyone, but I think uh, unstructured analytics is the future of working with unstructured data. Like, you know, to your point, all that digital debt sitting around—it's kind of like crude oil sitting in the ground, right? Like, and to date, we've built drills and we've built some pipes to get it out of the ground and move it around and uh and there's a lot more of that to do by the way. Um, yeah. We're not going to go we're not going to be bored anytime soon. No. But the future is really refinement, right? And get it into you know from raw bytes in a PDF to a real uh you know usable asset on the other side.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean first you just got to get the piping in there first. You know and then and then we can start figuring out best ways to use these and the and the analytics tools are going to get better. I mean they were already on a lot better, you know, where you don't you don't need a full data scientist to create a machine learning model. I mean yeah. I, I could do it and not to say that I'm not sophisticated, but I'm not a yeah. data scientist or anything like that. So
0: yeah, that's a great point. Coming back to that idea of just the digital debt that companies are some companies are drowning in right now. Um how do you how do you think about that debt? Like, what is the cost? What's the risk of just maintaining unmanaged, unstructured content as as we're doing it now, sort of status quo?
1: Well, you know, I'll pull it into the analogy um, I frequently use about IT and legacy systems. Um, so, they say an average IT department spends about seventy percent of their budget maintaining legacy systems, so paying all the support, and all that, and then and yeah. then. It's another uh, implication for the organizations themselves having to use these legacy systems so the problem just kind of balloons so if you're like working on a legacy system then you have your new system there's a lot of you know going to this system to make sure everything's cool and going to the other system yeah. and i kind of look at I kind of look at, at this in the same situation where if you don't get a strategy for IDP or document understanding now it's only getting worse because your company is going to grow and there's going to be more in yeah. And then it, you have that issue. And then, and then you're, and then it falls down after that too, because it's not being indexed properly. So, you know, if a doctor comes in and says, Gus, where's this order? I, this was in here. I, or the doctor may not even know there was an order and have to go place another order of the same exact order, you know, yeah. and that kind of thing. So like, it's, it's really a problem that, Now that there's a solution, there's really no reason why people shouldn't or companies shouldn't uh, really adopt it.
0: Yeah, 100%. So we talked a little bit. So we've looked in the far future. We've looked a little bit in the recent past. Let's dig a little bit more into the past. So talked about the tools getting better. You've talked about people being more educated about what's possible. You've talked about the right approach being managed service to handle all of the things that you're not thinking of when you think about, let's just automate this part of this process. Um, how have you seen the use cases that are being approached change in terms of, you know whether it's uh, vertical or complexity or whatever it is, um, as we've hit this sort of inflection point that we're at? Yeah,
1: well, it really depends on the, where customers are on their automation journey. Um, yeah. Some are still back in the, oh, great, I can take the spreadsheet of data and put it into a system. You know, there's still a lot of those out there. Um, And those are a lot of our like, quote unquote, legacy bots, I guess you could say. Um, But it is getting a little bit, it's getting more sophisticated, particularly the use of APIs, even within our bots themselves to, you know, hook into like Salesforce or ServiceNow, or, you know, I, I know even on the EMR standpoint, there's um fire, the new fire standard in healthcare is something huh. that we're highly evaluating, and we have a partner that we're working with on that. Um, so it's 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 also too, we've seen an uptick on attended automations, you know, kind of the human loop aspect, which you know, IDP definitely falls right into as well. Yeah. Uh, so we're seeing quite a bit there. Um, you know, we're also seeing yeah, a real a real need to, okay we have this problem, um, you know, we're having an issue onboarding, offboarding employees at scale, you know, Uh, seeing that quite a bit uh, where, you know, that was something that was certainly mentioned as a high value use case, but not really taken seriously enough because there was, you know, not a, the labor market wasn't as tight as it is right now. So like, we don't have someone in that from a compliance standpoint um, in in any company is a problem. you know as you try to maintain your credential or your licenses and things like that and your certifications that has to be done quickly um so we're seeing a bit more of that uh you know i also think companies are doing this at scale like they're approaching this with with my, with a mindset of scale uh we have several customers that have said we want to automate 16 different departments within our organization That's a 5 billion 6 billion dollar um, revenue company, huge. And, you know, we've had other ones in the fortune five fortune 1000 realm doing the same thing. We need to get, we want to double our revenue. We want to get going here, but we're not going to be able to hire enough people to do this. So we need to come um, automation first strategy. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're 18, 19, when we started this company, it was like, well, I think I have that one thing we want to do, or I have three, you know, one to two different bots we want to do. And, you know, it, I think UiPath and others, and you know, Indico have done a really good job of marketing what's possible um, and letting people know. Even Microsoft's entry into, you know, the RPA space has been very helpful yes. for gathering awareness. So like several years ago, we talked to people in IT who had no idea what RPA was. Now they kind of know, yeah. oh, like Power Automate or whatever. So it's, it, it's all helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um Let's uh, let's see. There's sorry, I'm blanking. There's something in there that you said that I wanted to drill into. I have to edit this part out. Um, what was it? It's a great little nugget. Oh yeah, you were talking about um, you were talking about the difference between attended and unattended bots, and you were talking about how IDP sort of drives you to um, the attended side of things. Um, My experience has been folks that come to Indico mature in automation. uh, They often don't understand the need to have a human in the loop, not only the need, but the value of doing it. You know, the assumption is I put document in, everything comes out perfect. I never see it. Um, But of course, it almost never works that way for a lot of reasons. So how do you talk? How do you talk people off of that ledge of just I thought it was going to be 100% straight through?
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, with your verification station too. There's that human loop um, uh, element to this, but yeah. yeah, I think I think what we you know we try to set the expectation to say, you know, if it's Indico or whatever we're trying to process, yeah, not, quote unquote is going to be able to do I don't know eighty percent of this right without without you even worrying about it. But there's going to be that twenty percent where. You know, you need to review what's going on. It, it, and it may be something that it's simple click. Oh, yes, this is a, this is a ID number. Boom, done. Bot yeah. But it may may require more intervention. Like there's missing information or the, the information that the bot or the Indico is trying to get just isn't completely there. Or maybe be something that they need to pick up the phone and call someone, yeah. or, you know. So like those kind of things, you have to be realistic about what is actually possible because it, there's no turnkey solutions i mean even our bots that are unattended that run they all create reports and there's exceptions on all of them yeah uh, okay just say once in a while i'm not going to say they're all all there but it's right. just exceptions you know that someone will go look at the report after the bots run process them so that's the human in a loop scenario um absolutely at, at scale, if there's a lot of them, then you build automation to help process those. But if it's, you know, it's just a handful, there's no need to create a bot that does all that legwork.
0: No, that's right. And I think one of the things, one of the things that's important to point out is that pure RPA bots don't get smarter over time, but um, your document processing solutions, assuming they're ML based, can. And so it's really valuable to keep. As your data flows change, as your analysts change the way they do the job, it's important to keep flowing that supervised data back into the model to keep it. Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, ongoing on the job training, right? The bot is, you know, it's mimicking that human knowledge worker and you need to keep it up to speed on how things are going and what's coming
1: through. Yeah, and the and the bot, I mean, it does get more intelligent in a way that, you know, you, you get it's a feedback loop coming from SMEs to say, hey, Camtech, we need this adjusted with the It. We need to add yeah. these things. So it's it's more of a manual intervention versus an automated, right. you know, intelligence. And frankly, I, and I know that yeah, UiPath and others are thinking of ways that they can, you know, have their bots heal or get more intelligent, but I'm a little wary of that because it's, you know, you, you can't just say, please go do this and then have it go make a bunch of You know business rules or whatever without some type of intervention um but i know i know that it is coming uh so we'll just have to keep an eye on that one
0: yeah have you tried the experiment like hey chat gpt write me a uipath bot that does x and y
1: no but i know it's possible
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay stay tuned for that that's exciting i
1: think that's that stuff's really exciting to me um but I still think any any kind of auto-generated code always scares me to some degree. And granted, sure. you know, everything is fairly um, componentized at this point and object-oriented. But you still need to know kind of what it's doing. Um, you know, and we were talking about automating at scale with enterprise-level systems. You have to be very careful, yeah. you know. It's no different than creating a PowerShell script that can wipe out your entire Active Directory with like yeah. one, one backslash, you know? Like, yeah, so that's right. You have to you have to be careful.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's a great point. It's I mean it's the same problem as like a room full of devs and none of them are listening to what the architect is saying, right? Like, and ChatGPT ain't no architect at this point. Wow. Maybe someday.
1: And it, 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 could, it could be. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, you know, particularly even from a code review standpoint, you know, it could certainly do quite a bit there. Um, yep. you know, it could also help, you know, developers that, you know, how are they develop? Maybe their development cycles it's kind of start at the higher end and then build the yep. depth there. Um, you know, but even from a reusability reusability standpoint, if you're like, I want to use this library, boom, yep. Please, and it just throws it in. So, you know, I think it is exciting, um, but like a lot of other technologies, it takes a little while for it to take hold. But I mean, the fact Microsoft's really making a pretty decent sized bet on it and they want to yeah. into all their applications, it's only going to get more sophisticated.
0: No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um,
1: so, and you know, that's, yeah, that's go ahead. Also, that's also that's also the reason why managed services are so important. You know, because. Oh, yeah. You know, you you can. Company like ours can do that research, figure figure out what works, what doesn't. You know, we we do a a ton of R and D behind the scenes. um, You know, evaluating these technologies, working with them, trying to figure out okay, these use cases we had before, how much better is this technology than what we were using? Or you know, go out and try this new RPA platform, see how it compares. You know, so it's like that just saves a lot of legwork and confusion for our customers
0: interesting all right i want to circle back to that but um while we're talking about you know the right tools for the right you know project within an organization how does camtech go about helping your customers find the best candidates for a process or workflow or whatever it is that could be automated
1: yeah so we have a, a few different approaches um we have the traditional you know um interviewing smes trying to figure out where the pain points of the business are focusing on those areas um, you know, doing scoping sessions, things like that, having business analysis, figure out where pain points are in departments or across the business and, and focusing on those. That to us is is one way of doing this. Um, another way that we've really uh started to stand up within the last year or so is using task mining. So uh-huh. we'll task mining agents on desktops. So we have a few organizations that are like, we do want to automate. But we're not really sure what we want to automate. And we want yeah. to collect data from our employees, but our employees are so busy they can't sit with you for you know hours on end. And you know, then it becomes very subjective. And employees have a way of you know describing the process different than it probably is described. And it's it's yeah. it's all biased um, in some ways. Task mining isn't. Task mining will sit there, observe a group of people doing a similar job function for you know a week or two weeks or however long it takes. And then it will provide, okay, this is where these are the common tasks that people are doing. This is where we not only think there's opportunities for automation, but this is how we'd actually automate this, you know, and coming up with those. Interesting. So like, um, in the case of the, uh, joint use case you guys are working on, we actually did a task mining study with that group and oh. found how much time they were spending on, on that task Fascinating. and putting real numbers, cause they couldn't, they couldn't figure, they couldn't tell us exactly. So we, we have really good identifiable numbers in and around that. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's definitely a way and, and that technology is only getting better and better, um, you know, whether you use UiPath or whether you use Salonis or okay. any of those tools, but basically you're using that as the engine to kind of figure out what people are doing from a top level. Then I think the other thing is too, once you kind of get in there, use cases will just sort of pop out once they kind of understand... Oh wow! I'm, this bot's doing this for me. I'm sure I have the same exact thing, or I have a group of people doing a similar type thing at the other part of the organization that I believe that automation could use. So you you tackle it from both the hands on the ground aspect, um, you know, the automated with task mining, and then using you know a backlog delivery tool, a backlog creation tool where people can submit ideas. You know, they're evaluated like automation hubs. Nice. And you can you can put ROIs and look at the historical values them and then attach the PDDs um, to the different opportunities and track them. And, you know, that's how you scale this, right? you know. And you can also yeah. use process discovery too, um, which is a whole nother animal in itself. But, you know, finding the low level tasks, I think task mining is a good place to start. And then you can look at more of the higher level business process management tools of like process discovery.
0: Yeah, when, when you do get to that higher level, how much do you all invest in sort of process redesign before you sit down and put hands to keyboard?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, one thing a lot of these tools do discover is, I mean, all three approaches, um all end up having some level of process redesign or, okay. or, or sometimes we'll be like, oh yeah, we thought this process was more mature than it is. We need to figure this process out before we're going to automate it. So it eliminates the, you know, automating a bad process, which is rule number one, never do. Um, So, you know, there is that process uh, improvement aspect. The other thing we have seen too quite a bit now in the post-COVID age is using task capture as a way of documenting a process because a lot of businesses don't have their processes fully documented, you know. Interesting. So, you know, with turnover and things like that, that's a little use like task capture, which has nothing to do with automation other than it's a UiPath product um, to capture their day-to-day. And then the, it creates a full, for, fully formed process document for them to say, okay, this person doing this with SAP once a month and here's the process and boom, 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 there it is documented save it so if that person's not there that month or you know they leave the company at least there's some documented you know process um yeah so you know we're seeing that quite a bit too
0: interesting the hedge against the key person risk built right in yeah yeah right i I like that it's exciting so let's go back. You were talking about um, one of the value adds for Camp Tech is that you're constantly kicking the tires on the new and shiny when it comes out. Um, just as an organization, you know, what's the sort of, um, whether it's time or dollars or whatever, what, what's the proportion of your sort of budget that goes towards that R&D type of stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, as a newer company, uh, quite a bit. Um, we're at about 25 to 30%, I believe. Um we have budgeted this year. Uh, last year is a little bit more. Um, but yeah, we we basically take 25 to 30% of our budget and put it towards R&D. And R&D can include the technology, but also can include operations, building our operations out, making sure yeah. that we're continuing to serve our customers in a proactive way. Um, so, you know, one of, the, one of the things starting the company is to make sure their operations are sound and they continue to improve. Cause we can always improve our operations. So like, you know, we put it, we put a significant amount of our revenue that we've gotten from our clients to R&D.
0: Right on. That sounds healthy. sounds like a way to stay ahead of the curve. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit now about the way um, you engage with new clients and I want, to, I want you to sort of spill the tea a little bit on, when you go into an engagement, what do you see warning signs of like, this isn't going to go well. These people don't have their stuff together. Like, what, what is it that that sort of tips you off to that?
1: Um, Well, one, one of which, are you talking pre-sales or actual when we've signed it, signed the deal?
0: Oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear about either. You can okay. take it in whichever order you want.
1: Yeah. So pre-sales, a lot of times it's, they don't really have a budget or sure. is an- necessarily um high of mind uh, yet uh you know I think also too one thing we do in pre-sales before we get statements of work or we sign customer agreements is to do some scoping of what they think they wanna Sure. Out of right then and there it's usually a starter or non-starter so that what will what will happen frequently is one they may not be prepared for the scope call which does happen that doesn't happen as often as oh, in the middle of it, like, oh, gosh, this isn't something we should automate. Or we still haven't gotten this defined yet. Or, you okay. know, this isn't the right person that should be showing this to you guys. Um, you know, those kind of things kind of like help identify We're not going to, we're not going to sign a custom, we're not going to sign a contract with a customer that we don't believe it's a good automated automation candidate. It's not even worth it. I mean, from yeah. a resource standpoint, from a lot of different ways, it's not, it's not even worth it. And we've had to actually turn some people away or some customers away where we're like, you're not ready. You want to do this, but you know, do X, Y, and Z before we can move forward. Um, That being said, uh, you know, when you get to the post-sales implementation aspect, it's really, you know, you talked a little bit about identifying use cases and building the backlog. It's I think the hardest things that we face with new customers is one which sounds really, and you guys probably run into the same thing, is getting access. Getting access, oh, yeah. getting all that stuff approved. That can take, that takes longer than building the bot. Like we can build a bot in four to six weeks, but sometimes access can take three months, you know, and yeah. and that that's just, that's always been that way since I've been doing this. Um, sometimes access, access access can take like three hours and it really, you know, so I think that's, and that to me says a lot of different things. Um, the company's not ready for external party to come in and manage the service or they're not structurally ready to supply these access controls to us. Yeah. Um, we we do a lot, you know, particularly with some of our larger customers, well, most of them at this point, we do security reviews with them before we sign a contract. So we sit with IT, explain where we're coming from, where the data is gonna live, you know in our cloud um maybe in their cloud on yeah. their prem, not on their prem depending on what their security model looks like um you know as things have gotten more cloud uh receptive a lot of companies are like we don't really want to manage this we work with other managed services yeah. like you guys as long as you're SOC 2 and you know you have the um references and all that other stuff we're good to go and that they're faster moving um but, you know it's things like it is the access to the problem and then it then it's sme access so we, yeah. run, we run into issues where fully formed, co- you know simple bots i mean i'm not talking really tough ones um where it's like we're working with a customer and the sme is not available for weeks you know that's the one person the whole organization that knows that one process that they want to automate so that slows things down um yeah. and then it's we always find the first few are probably the the hardest to kind of get the companies working their head around it, thinking about ways to automate or what what kind of questions we're going to be asking. After the first few, it really starts to take off. And yeah. they see what our process is, they understand what they need to do, what they can expect. Um, and, and it really starts to get some level of um scale. And you know, we're we're seeing that with all of our customers, they grow over a thirty to forty percent clip year over year. Wow! But the first year, first six months to a year, depending on the the scale, can be a little challenging.
0: Yeah, there's a little dip, then you take yeah. off, right? You have to wander in the desert for a while. It's interesting. You mentioned the SME axis. You know, we uh we have SMEs often in our platform supervising the models, right? Just labeling the data, and they're often the worst. Uh, Model supervisors, um, because they have all of this business knowledge in their heads and they'll see three different things and then they highlight this as the key piece of information, and then they're shocked when the model doesn't pick up on it. It's like, well, you know, you got to give it a, b, and c before you get to d. Um, have yeah. you had similar things where the SMEs sort of like it's almost like they don't even remember why they do things anymore, they've been doing it so long,
1: yeah, yeah, or or they don't. Or they're really not the (laughs)
0: SME. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a whole other ball of wax.
1: Or like, yes, yeah, no, they, we've had, we've definitely had that issue with SMEs that are like, I don't know if they get brain freeze or something when they talk (laughs) to us, Um, but yeah, no, I mean, God love them, you know, but that's why, that's why I think task mining um, could be really helpful because yeah. Or to get the idea of what it is before we even talk to them. Um, so like if we do talk to the SME or when we scope with the SME, it's more of a validation of what we're seeing with task mining.
0: Yeah. Um, and then they can help with the things that, you know, look like yeah. outliers or strange circumstances. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The SMEs are technical. So if you're giving SME that's not technical, you know, they may be a world-class accountant or finance person, but they, they don't have the logic, the business or the, development logic to be like, okay, the dependency stuff. So once again, managed services are helpful in that respect too, because we can just take what the SME gives us from a document standpoint, teach the models, figure that out and help them over, you know, when that verification needs to occur.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, we're about to round out on our time together. So I want to, I want to focus on, uh, we talked about the far future. Let's talk about the near-term future again, if you could have, you know, wiggle your nose, rub the bottle, whatever it is, if you could have one wish for what technology um could get built into these IDP platforms or what feature could be built into these IDP platforms that you work with, what's the one thing that was that's missing right now that would unlock the most potential?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um I, I think <clears throat> a reliable template, I mean I know Abby has done a decent job with, like, invoices and things, but real intelligence built into the intelligence. Yeah. You know? So if you're trying to do invoices, you're trying to do whatever it is, like, you know, in healthcare, like, pull out medical records, have these pre-built models as a starting point. Um, and it really could help a time in the market a lot quicker for a development team. And, you know, the issue that we've seen with, these pre-built models with other companies is they're not that reliable. So you end up having Mm. to do a lot more work outside of the model, but just really building. So that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. um, Cataloging this data over time and understanding, okay, this is what a telephone, I mean, not to say you guys don't know what a telephone number is (laughs) or or specialized ID. So if you're working with an insurance company, they have their own ID system, you know, understanding what those are, what, the most common ID structures could be for insurance, or you know, financial services, or whatever it is. Um, that kind of thing. I think that would be hugely helpful. Uh, you know, I think the feedback loop stuff with the customer um, is good. It, it can break down too a little bit at times. Um, yeah, yeah. But you you need you need that like handholding with you know whether it be you guys with your support or our support or whatever it might be.
0: Good, I like that answer. I I think that um again, back to the concept I mentioned before, where we've got pipes and we've got plumbing, and you can get things, you know, you run it through this pipe and this comes out the other side, right? Really capturing a representation of a document along the way and being able to say, ah, I've seen. I've seen this before and it tripped me up and, uh, and that, that, you know, that's another one of the things that excites me about models like GPT three and a half is they do seem like they sort of learn on the fly, um, as they see examples. So, uh, I think there's a bright future there. Um, all right, bring us home, Peter. Uh, what, what, what should the folks listening out there, whether they're, you know, sort of, Boots on the ground building bots, they're leading a COE. Maybe it's different answers for everybody involved, but what should they take away from this episode as we wrap up?
1: Well, I think um one of which is the technology, both from an RPA perspective and an intelligent document processing standpoint, is here. Um it's it's available, it, it's reliable, it's you know, industry tested. Um You know, from all different perspectives, I mean, RPA itself has been around for 30 plus years in one way or another. Um, We have these highly sophisticated enterprise platforms that can deliver, you know, Indico is using techniques that have been around for quite a while as well, but really taking it to the next level, using intelligence and, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning to tackle it from a, a completely different perspective. Um... Non-positional, which is huge. There's no relation between. It's not key-value pairs any longer. Um, which is you know Amazon uses that with text retrieval. Yeah. Um, so you know really tackling the problem having having the the technology can really support the use case, but also understanding what the use case is and, and what technology could really be the best to use in that use case, and not having to go through you know a whole uh, years of discovery with different IDP tools and just kind of zipping to the head of the class and saying, you know what, this is what it's going to be. I can get the ROI. Um, You know, we're not going to have to maintain this as much. It's going to work, you know, whatever it might be, you know, and I think that's really what um, I'm focused on, especially this year. I think it's going to be a big year for intelligent document processing, you know, and more sophisticated RPA bots.
0: Yeah, I love it. So to, to sum that up into a few bullet points, you have a need to deal with your unstructured data. The tools are good enough. And make sure you work with someone like the good folks at Camp Tech who have done this before and know what the best practices are and can provide the services you need to get there. Is that fair? Yes. Great. Well, I want to thank you, Peter, for joining me on the podcast. Um, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. And just to Send us home, this has been Unstructured Unlocked and I've been joined by Peter Camp, who is the CTO and founder of Camp Tech Software. Thanks again, Peter. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, automated.